Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Father Robert McTague. He hosts the radio show, The Catholic Current, on the Stations of the Cross Network, and he's the author of the popular book, Real Philosophy for Real People. His new book is Christendom Lost and Found, Meditations for a Post-Christian Era. That is our topic today. Welcome, Father. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be with you. Uh, You go back to 1979 in the beginning of the book, when you were a freshman in college, and you stayed in that environment for many years, immersed in Western civilization. Right. Uh, You talk about that experience. What did it it add up to? Uh, Not just to you, but to anyone in school uh, around that time. Well, I I grew up in Newark, New Jersey in the 60s and 70s, and that was a, a very exciting place to be at that time, and as a young boy in an ugly part of a ugly city, I said, there has to be more. There just has to be more. And then I got interested in archaeology. I was an odd kid, 10 and 11 years old, and I'm reading about pyramids, and then I'm reading about Greece, and then I'm reading about Rome, and then the Middle Ages, and then 11 and 12 years old, I discovered the Renaissance and Leonardo and Michelangelo, and I said, I want to get away from the 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 ugly and the brutal and the calculated and I want to be with people who want to know and who understand and who delight in beauty and in excellence and in the life of the mind and then uh, I transferred to a, a small town in Essex County next to Newark and let's just say that uh, being a young intellectual did not give you a lot of social capital uh, and hmm. high school. The context of my high school was the zenith of human experience was to make a cheerleader or the football player and producer wrestler. So when <laughs> I finally got to a real university campus where, you know, there was no social cost to doing crazy things like, you know, reading uh, and, and signing your name legibly, uh, this was a whole new world for me. And I realized that on a university campus, I had access, and this is before the internet, of course, I had access to the whole store of human heritage, what was bright and best and beautiful, and people who paid high cost for skills that would allow them to have access to excellence. That just swept me off my feet. You know, it it really was... I've seen experiences like this before back then when going to college and you're faced with this grand panorama of civilization, Mm -hmm. right? Great works, masterpieces, and the idea that these were, you know, the best, and it's for me. Right. I can take it in. It is my inheritance. I I think 
I think it's a, it's a crime that we don't offer that to all young people, uh, to all young people t today. Uh, one of the problems being that we have seen uh, Jesus Christ removed from private and public life. And you, you talk about this in the book. You actually date that removal, not to the 1960s secularization in, in America, not to you know, the Scopes trial and, and evolution and everything else, Darwin. You actually go back to the French Revolution. Yes. For this origin. What happened there? Well, you know, I, uh, not too long ago, I wrote a, uh, an article at Crisis Magazine called The Brief History of Our Annihilation. And <laughs> I, I extend it back to, to Martin Luther. Martin Luther uh, rejects the church. French Revolution rejects Christ. Uh, and then you have Darwin and Marx re reject the, the creator. Now we get to the 50s and 60s contraception, uh, no-fault divorce. We've, we've got uh, the rejection of, of the creature as male and female, fertile and social. And then we go, we go further into the, into the transgender movement. We're rejecting our, our, our own bodies. Now we get into the woke movement. We're rejecting our past. And now we're rejecting, we've been actively rejecting our, our future, canceling or murdering our future through contraception or abortion. And now for whatever children, our future who are left, we're going to cannibalize them through pedophilia. So we're running out of things to destroy and, and, re, <laughs> and reject. And how to com communicate this to people whose response is, dances with the stars is on. Is this going to take long? Uh, so I we're we're in a, we're in a serious spiritual crisis, and I said you know there was a time when we didn't live this way. Yes, there were sinners, and yes, there was fault because there were human beings involved. Granted, all of that, but we used to know how to make beautiful things and convince people to at least try to become good and maybe even holy. And for a lot of different reasons, uh, we. We, we put that aside where we let it go. Uh, and, and now we're, we're thrashing about. And, you know, in my previous book, Real Philosophy for Real People, I talk about McTague's axiom, which states most institutions would rather die than admit that anyone ever made a mistake. I, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw yeah. that, that quote. And it, it, it stuns me, especially when the people in those institutions, you've got evidence all around that you're failing. Right. And just just the refusal and, and what you mentioned a moment ago about the, the the issues, the contraception, family formation, male, female marriage and all the rest. Father McTague, how do they respond when you tell them, do you know the birth rate is way down? It is below replacement level in many, many countries in, in, in the world. The, the U.S. birth rate is way down. Millennials are not getting married and having children at nearly the rate that previous generations this is this is eventual disappearance what do they what do they think of that i mean dancing with the stars you know i mean do they well, just well, when I, when uh, I, that's, I, that's far so far ahead we don't need to worry about know, that well you know i i taught medical i've been involved in medical ethics for almost the the whole of of my, my priesthood and so i've done a lot of work on it basically you know demography is destiny and the future belongs only to those who show up. So I've been trying to sound the alarm about the birth dearth for years. And the responses are generally, you know, buh, overpopulation, climate change, buh. Or 
some some vague sense of well that's easy for you to say you're a priest <sighs> you know because apparently I mean, you might want to have your 1.2 children at most you know when you're ready for that accessory to your lifestyle right but the actual nuts and bolts existence of, of human life and human civilization and you know the world will look very different if certain people aren't there anymore <laughs> You know, what will France look like without the French? Right? But it's, it's, very, it's very impolite to raise those sorts of questions. And then there's always someone who's going to drop some sort of racism card on you if you, if you mention that also. So we're talking about things that would get us booed off a lot of college campuses. Right, right, right. Uh, quick, what specifically do you mean by Christendom? Well, it's, I, I play back and forth because there's two senses of the words. On the one hand, I draw from Malcolm Muggeridge, and, uh, who had a very negative view of, of, of Christendom. This is what uh, contemporary speakers talk about, the business of churchianity. It, it's the structures, it's, uh, it's the cleric with his handout for federal funding. You know, um, it, it's, it's the church compromised with the world. On the other hand, you have Christendom as John Sr. saw it. And, and everybody should know John Sr. better. I'm, I'm utterly convinced. I, I wish I, And, you know, I, I dedicated my book to his memory. John Sr. said, this is the, what happens when nature and grace meet. When divine intervention and human cooperation meet, you end up with cathedrals and monasteries and beauty and virtue and people trying to become saints, or at least approving of some people becoming saints. And, and you know, we're, we're in a tension back and forth between the two. But certainly the John Sr. sense of it, we, we've lost that with, with some significant exceptions. And then the negative Christendom that Malcolm Muggeridge warned us about, that's a Potemkin village that's on fire. To mix metaphors, the, the status quo ordo was in a demographic and financial death spiral in the West long before the advent of COVID tide. And, and COVID has certainly ex uh, accelerated that process. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned cathedrals a moment ago. I was in Milan a few months ago. And the Duomo in Milan is, is such a glorious, magnificent, you know, Southern Gothic monument mm -hmm. everyone goes there everyone congregates outside and a lot of them are not christians a lot just the 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 great creations of would, would you that would be a, a creation of christendom oh absolutely right? oh no 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 question and, about that and isn't this proof that there is something deep in in a lot of people that leads them to gravitate toward the creations of christendom right and, and, and let's let's be clear uh, we're talking about people who didn't have indoor plumbing or wi-fi <laughs> who spent their, their their time talent and treasure building something so beautiful that they might not even live to see completed you can't explain that away and also you can't have a Gothic cathedral without scholastic philosophy. Hmm. Hmm. And you can't have Florence without Dante. 
These are not mere accidents. And what do we have now is brutalist architecture. Who should be surprised by that? Yeah. Your book is structured as a series of of meditations. Uh, And, you know, meditation four begins, quote, I have such sorrow for the present state of the church. What is, what are the dominant features of the church that lead you to feel this way? Oh, goodness, uh, where to begin? Um, Let's take a look at the collapse of religious vocations in the West. Um, How many dioceses have closed how many parishes in the past 10 or 15 years? Um, There is the uh, embarrassing state of Catholic higher education. You know, when I was a new priest and I was first teaching at a self-identified Catholic school, and I'd ask my students, what was your religious affiliation? And the majority of them chirped cheerfully, Catholic, I guess. Uh-huh. I have no reason to believe it's gotten better in the past 25 years. Now, the pre-med majors knew they were pre-med majors, and they didn't want to be what they grew up. But Catholic, I guess. Um, you know, the, the banality of uh, our... I, I, I did a podcast recently on Sunday Mass at St. Typical's. And, and it was based on conversations I've had with priests across the country who, you know, everyone else is saying, thank God it's Friday. Their affect goes into a nosedive because they know they've got Sunday Mass with their congregation. And you've got to explain to adults why you really shouldn't be wearing a SpongeBob SquarePants t-shirt at Mass. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> And it, no, let me add something Indeed. else, because it's, it's an, an essay I'm, I'm working on. You know, uh, you, you know the, the Eucharistic revival in the United States has already begun. I don't know if you've missed its opening stages. Uh, and, it, and the climax of it is going to be this Eucharistic Congress in Indiana. And I wish everyone well. I went to the website, EucharisticCongress.org. I scrolled past the contest for the hymn and the contest for the theme song. Didn't see any ads for a plushy toy. But I did a word search of the entire website. I searched for the word confession, and I found exactly one instance nested under a sub-submenu under frequently asked questions. Can I go to confession at the conference? Answer, yes. Good, And that was the sum total of absolutely everything that the well-paid, many of the ordained, Eucharistic revivalists are going to lead us into this new era of being Eucharistic missionary disciples. You know, watch the space for more details, whatever the heck that means. But we have nothing to say about the link between confession and the Eucharist. Now, when I taught seminarians, I said, if you want to be a good confessor, and I said, if you don't want to be a good confessor, let me know, I'll help you pack. But if you want to be a good confessor, you have to start by being a good penitent. Because only a man who's known the liberation, the healing, who's known his own desperate need for the grace of that sacrament will be a generous and compassionate confessor. And here, convenient, here uh, confessions at inconvenient or awkward times, etc., etc. Uh, there was no one ordained to hear confessions who said, Hey guys, we're only mentioning this once. Somebody who wrote the check for that website was ordained at least as many times as I was. Hmm. 
So that's why I, I'm, I'm in, a, in a state of grief. Now, thanks be to God, yeah. I, I've met a faithful remnant, and, and I'm very happy for that. And, you know, and I will fling out broad his name because that's what our Lord asks me to do at, at this time in my life. But I, I've got a case of ecclesial Weltschmerz. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. <laughs> in in uh, this this uh, contemporary Christmas, Christmas today, you you acknowledge the Christmas season in action, but you lament another loss, and that is of quote the Christmas fact. Right. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, the the most significant uh, a- event in human history was the entrance of the, of the incarnate Word into the world. It really does change everything. It gives human beings in their body and their soul an identity, a dignity, and a destiny that the pagans could not have imagined, that the moderns could not understand, and the postmoderns couldn't even begin to articulate. You know, St. Bernard of Clairvaux said regarding Mary, you can never say enough, and that's absolutely true. I think the same could be said about the incarnation as well. Because the word became flesh, we have opportunities and we have obligations that you really need grace to fully understand. And we're not full-throatedly announcing this to a world that says, hey, you know what? Um, it's going to be okay for men with badges and guns to break down your door, carry carry your prepubescent child out against your will, and then have a doctor mutilate his genitals because Sally has feelings about being Sammy. We've gotten to that point where that's a reality. Look at Washington State. And we're, and we're talking about how many chairs to have around the table for the next synod on synodality. I would sure like to hear more of the Christmas fact. Right. I'd like to hear more about, do you know what a stunning, what a stunning moment, I mean, we should be astonished at this Christmas fact constantly. Right. The, the, the descent of God among us, it, it, it is, is some, we must repeat this over and over. I mean, it, it, it is, again, and let me interject, Mark, please. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend recently, and she told me with tears in her eyes, she went to Christmas morning Mass uh, this past year at St. Typical's, and Father said, my Christmas gift to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is to have a very short homily, because I all know that you, you've got things you, you want to do. And people clapped. Clapping. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, uh... Look, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you see signs of dissatisfaction and that among younger, younger Catholics, younger Catholic priests, 
that a little bit of the fire and the fact is is coming back. I I I don't know if you see that or not. Well, no. I, thanks be to God, I I do. I was very much influenced by Alfred J. Knox's essay called Isaiah's Job, written in the Atlantic in in the thirties. Uh, it's on PDF everywhere. Uh, read it, and it'll stick with you for years. And the the gist of it is. You know, Isaiah's mission is to preach this difficult, challenging, ultimately healing word, and most people are going to kill him for it. And Isaiah says, well, then why go out and do it? And he said, well, there's a faithful remnant who need to hear it. And he said, great, how will I know who they are? And he said, that's none of your business. Hmm. He said, they'll find you. Hmm. And in God's providence, a faithful remnant has found me. People who really want the gospel, they want the sacraments, they want Christendom, they want to offer their children alternatives to what the lunatics outside are, are offering to, to yeah. their children. And they're making heroic efforts and sacrifices. Now, it's true. A lot of people are expressing dissatisfaction by simply voting with their feet. You know, And the response seems to be, well, we'll just add more water to the broth. I'm, I'm reading a book now uh, <laughs> called uh, Nonverts. You know, these are the people who become, you know, none of the above uh, re religious affiliates. And I'm halfway through the book, and the author is making the case that the response of, of churches across the theological spectrum is, we'll just polish off the sharp edges, and that'll be fine. And Everybody welcome. Yeah, all are welcome, because ultimately it doesn't matter. And the proof that it doesn't matter is what happened to the coronation of King Charles. Because the Cardinal Archbishop of London was able to walk in and walk out a living man. Hmm. And he was able to give a blessing to Charles without rebuking him as a usurper and asking him to come back into the bark of Peter. When, when Benedict died, uh, I saw a video and it showed uh, Benedict speaking at Westminster in London. And there were people who were throwing their backs out to pat themselves on the back, congratulating themselves that they are ever, ever so enlightened. Um that, you know, the Pope himself can come here and speak. And afterwards, absolutely nothing changed because it didn't matter. You know, when, when John Paul spoke at the European Parliament, at least Ian Paisley had the integrity to hate John Paul. Hmm. He was wrong about the hate, but he knew that John Paul represented something inimical to Ian Paisley's worldview. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So th this was a death by irrelevance. This wasn't even a martyrdom. And we this, this say, is where we are now. Yeah. Without it, this is where we this is where we end up. Right. We lose the faith. We soften the faith. This is what you're, you're going to get. And one, one of the problems uh, that you point to is the loss of the memory of the martyrs and saints. Right. And, and the, for you, this is taking away a meaningful past. You, you, sure. you, you say they live in a pastless present that afflicts uh, them so much. And you go back to one saint and you cite his deathbed statement. No barbarian can rob Christ. Right. What did St. Augustine mean by that? Well, again, you know, uh, Augustine, who, you know, I, I wrote a, a paper earlier in my academic career called 
uh, the unredeemed Augustine, Augustine's problematic rejection of his past. St. Augustine spilled a lot of ink lamenting his classical education when he could have been doing other things. And I said, his, 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 the academic Augustine became the saint that he was because of his academic training. And so he knew what Rome represented. He knew what, what Christendom, the emerging Christendom, represented. And he also knew that Christ is triumphant over the world. And he, you know, he, he said, uh, non tolet gothus quod Christus custodit. So uh, no, no, no goth can take what Christ keeps, what Christ guards. So the, the church, as the indefectible bride of Christ, will be vindicated. That is indisputable. That, that, that's, that's dogmatic. The real question is how many members will be in that body of his bride. Hmm. And then it's something else that nobody talks about, because no one reads Aquinas' treatise on happiness anymore, is, you know, if you do enter heaven, and please God, we all do, God will fill you according to the vessel you bring into heaven by the, by the in terms of the life, the virtuous, meritorious life you led. So you might show up to heaven with a shot glass and be made full, or with a keg and be made full. But no one talks about, you know, good use of time. He said, hey, you know, you, you, you could be playing Tetris, probably dating myself by referring to that game. Uh, you could be playing Tetris, or, you know, you, you could be making a holy hour. You, you could be gaining a plenary indulgence for your grandmother. What we, see this, again, we come back to the Christmas fact. What we do with our bodies and souls in time now has eternal significance, and God isn't kidding. And we, we've lost the vocabulary for that kind of conversation. You speak off and on about the, the pessimism right. uh, that is out there, the, the despair. What are the concrete things that, that, that we do to hold back the pessimism is it re reading the gospels prayer well you know just as you you have to moderate your exposure to sunlight or you get burned so too you have to moderate your exposure to dark light and you know as someone who's, who's a broadcaster and a writer i say you have to be really careful about what you consume in media please stop doom scrolling yeah. please stop doom scrolling um you know, the faithful remnant who have found me, they, uh, we commit to First Saturdays together. We pray the First Saturdays together the way Our Lady of Fatima intended. And then, you know, we'll have a teaching and dinner, and you've got infants through grandparents there un under one roof. That's sublime. It's the high mm. point of my month. So mm. having good fellowship, moderating your intake of what the world is bilging out at you, is, is really essential. And then steep yourself in the history of the church and the scriptures to show that God is always faithful. You, you know, I think that just recognizing the, the impact of exposure, mm -hmm. you know, you can, consuming things, it's going to affect you. Sure. You might think that you have some ironic attitude toward it, that you, you, you're, you're sort of objective and you you kind of laugh at it, but if you're taking it in, it it's going it's going to change. Right. It, right. It's it's going to alter your your soul. You you have 
uh, a powerful passage from Archbishop Sheen that cites the modern tendency to, quote, divorce Christ from his cross. Right. What did Bishop Sheen mean by that? Well, you know, uh, St. Paul said we preach Christ crucified, and that's the only Christ who's interesting. Uh, Who was it who coined the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism? You know, there's some superior force out there, and his goal is my happiness in this life, and he wants us all to be nice, and the only qualification for sainthood is to die. And we saw this in the churches. They took down the crucifix and put up a resurrexifix, you know, the jumping for joy Jesus. Uh, we turned the holy sacrifice of the meal to uh, table fellowship. You know, when the more draconian restrictions of COVID tide uh, were rescinded, one prominent diocese I know of, their invitational literature to come back to church was, it's time to come back to the table. No, it isn't. It's time to come back to Calvary. Hmm. It's time to come back to Calvary. But if you start talking like that, then you'd have to bring up confession and sin, and who could live that way? Yeah, yeah. Well, now, is it possible for us to look at this age of pessimism and, and, and decline and persecution as a situation of of excitement for believers. I mean, it can make life interesting in, in sure. a way to be regarded as a dangerous believer. Is is there is there reason to say, yeah, well, I, we I are? Have, I have a friend who's a serious Christian who's lived his discipleship in a, in a costly and, and heroic way, and he talked about it's an exciting time to be a believer. And yes, that's true. I think back to what Pius XI said when he was watching the rise of, of real fascism, back when people knew what fascism was. And uh, he said, let us give thanks to God that we live in times such as these. For now it is permitted to no one to be mediocre. You know, my parents grew up in ethnic urban uh, Catholic neighborhoods, Irish and Italian in New Jersey. Uh, and you could kind of coast on the momentum of that cultural Catholicism and pretty much stay in your lane. Those contexts are largely gone, certainly in the Northeastern United States, but I would say in the West in general, those are gone. We're going to have to be much more intentional. I've said from the pulpit very often, the the level of persecution in the United States is going to heat up in our lifetimes to the point that, number one, we're going to find out that lukewarm Catholicism isn't sufficient for us. And number two, even lukewarm Catholicism will be found to be too costly. We're almost there. The book is Christendom Lost and Found, Meditations for a Post-Christian Era. Father McTague, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. God bless you. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.